Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Paula Price Show, where you can experience scripturally organic, culturally unmodified teaching, get answers to your questions, and receive powerful prayer from your host, Dr. Paula Price, author of the Prophet's Dictionary. Tune in now and get ready for an exciting time of encouragement and transformation. Welcome your host, Dr. Paula Price. of the Jesus and Paula show starring Jesus Christ and Paula Price. Dr. Paula Price to the rest of the world. I remember a long time ago when Dr. Price would uh, speak about the Lord talking to her, calling her Paula. And I was like, well, I guess he doesn't call you Dr. Price, does he? And she said, no. <laughs> and if you know Dr. Price, you know that's exactly how that moment played out. No, of course not. You know, he's the creator and I'm the creative. I'm like, right, you know, I've only heard you call Dr. Price. And so, sidebar, welcome to today's show where we continue to go into the deep realms of God, the deep realms of the kingdom. And so get out your notepad, your Bible, your good pen. You know how you need that good pen? Good pen. To take those good notes and I will tell you, like I've recently said to our congregation and even my students, go back and revisit. Revisit your notes. The great thing about school and education is that ideally it makes you plug in and put a purpose to your knowledge. Why do you go to school? You put a purpose to your knowledge. Otherwise, you could be a hobbyist or something like that. Um, and... Uh, <laughs> In our leadership training this Saturday, we have our next leadership class with Dr. Price. And I said, well, I have all of the leaders doing homework for each lecture with the rest of the students. Because as a leader, you can fall easily fall into passive learning, where you take notes, you nod, you say amen because you agree with what the lecturer or the other leader is saying but you don't realize how much of it kind of rolls off of your back and doesn't plug into not just your consciousness, but your habits. It doesn't alter your habits because profound statements can impact you and they can change you. But at some point, okay, let's be real. We're listening to Dr. Pharisees for like 90 minutes in class. That's a lot of profundity. A lot. I, I'm going back through the lectures typing out notes. When she did it the first time, I was writing them out, typing them out, pausing, going back. The first 33 minutes of the lecture, I had to stop like five times and meditate, think, connect dots to make what I heard and, uh, intentional for my future responses as a leader. And so that, I haven't, you know, this isn't even talking about doing the actual worksheet, homework assignment. This is just revisiting the lectures as a learner and not just another leader who's like, yeah, amen, that's good, wow. School is different from church, unless you're in our church. But <laughs> for the most part, schooling is different than churching. Churching, it's the amen, it's the preach, it's the I'm on my feet, and I'm, you know, in our services, walking around the front, about to break out in the back. Because you're all stirred up and worked out, and it's hitting a place in your soul. And in class, you also have to let it write itself in your brain, in your mind. 
in your understanding, in your future, and in your soul. And that comes through the homework, the work to then put a place for this and a place for that. And I would say to also discipline your learning faculties. Because when you're us and at this level, uh, they can get a little slack. They can get a little sloppy. They can get in, and don't be a teacher who hasn't been a student for a long time. You forget what the students go through sometimes until you are that. Now, it doesn't mean you lower your standards because you understand it, but you go back through it. And it's like, oh, I remember when Prophet Dee was talking about taking biblical psychology. She said, that class almost took me out <laughs> because of the content as well as the elements of application. So don't cheat yourself as a leader. Don't cheat yourself as a Christian. Don't cheat yourself as a viewer here. Take the passivity of what you're doing and make it intentional. Enroll in Price University. The uh, enrollment has closed for the spring, but we have a summer semester and a fall semester. Do something about it. We can easily sit back and fuss and fume about the old move and the current regime and how they didn't, but do your habits and patterns lend toward a different future? Because what we don't realize is that a lot of that sloppiness out there is because people were being pushed on charismatics, being pushed on anointing, being pushed on gathering. Boy, they can really draw a crowd. Let's throw them out there. They can, they can really prophesy. They can really preach. They can really say it. They can really do it. But do they actually learn it? And learn it with the intention of having specific outcomes. And that's what I love about what we do. It's what I appreciate about what Dr. Price does, the way she leads. I was telling her before the show, can I share something? Great. I was telling her before the show that I was gifted the master's class series that's uh, available online, and I was watching Anna Wintour, who is the editor-in-chief of Vogue, among other things, and she's 70 years old, and said this is the first time that she has ever sat down in one place and poured out her wisdom into one audience. You know, we've watched The Devil Wears Prada. And so if that's where you're getting your information on her and people like her, then it's unfortunate. That was, what, a former assistant who wrote a book that was turned into the movie. And so to hear her speak, I thought watching it, oh, I learned that from Dr. Christ. I learned that from Dr. Christ. I was checking things off my mental list of what I had learned and been taught around these tables from how she runs the staff meetings to how you work and build a team, how you brand yourself and market yourself. And I thought, well, isn't this not surprising to me at all, actually? Because when you have studied, when you have studied your boss's field, then you know, well, hopefully you know, where they fall among the giants. So we sit under a giant. And she ranks with other giants in the field, in the kingdom, the kingdom at large, inside of church or outside of church, the fundamental principles that we've learned. I was like, yep, yeah, mm-hmm, wow, that's, that's true. Okay, yeah. I mean, she made a statement that was so profound, and it, it went against what we're told in our modern age, which is why I thought it was remarkable. It sounded, it reminded me of Dr. Price, when she said, you don't, determine where you're going by what the people want. Now, we've learned in our leadership with the woman of gold that whoever is dictating where you go is actually the leader, not you. That's how she says it. 
If you're following the people, then the people are leading you. You're not leading them. And that's not just in this type of round table, uh, boardroom environment. That's also your brand, your marketing, how you promote yourself, how you do whatever, which is why following somebody else's trends to put yourself out there rarely works well for other people other than the person who made it popular. Because that's actually what worked for them. That was their brand. Now, their brand is different from their product. So let's separate the two because you can still buy into a product, but the brand and how they do it might be unique to them. And so Dr. Price talks about that, obviously being an apostle, being first means that you're not following, which means that many times you are doing something that nobody else is doing. And that can be a conflict if you're unresolved about not being in the big crowd initially. Initially, having to wait your turn to build up. Anna said that so many times, it takes time to build, the, it takes time to grow, which is why she is 70 and doesn't look like she's retiring anytime soon. She took over a huge account that she had taken over the top at 50 years old, 51, 50, 51 years old, something like that, and is still a major contributor. Uh, not in not always in the same dimensions that she once was, but a huge contributor to the success and fundraising of that whole thing. And so we value, we were talking how we value the senior leadership. And when you look in scripture at uh, the model that is set before us multiple times, when God did something magnanimous, people were usually older. Now, he may have called them in their youth tried them in their youth, but the fullness of what they were called to do often didn't really show up and mature until their latter years. Well, why? Because, first of all, they had to buy in, be converted, be purged, be in shock. Okay, we've all been in shock. Is this really my life? Is this really my life? Is this really my future? Is this really how this is going to play out? <laughs> and so once you resolve that and you work through it and that you have to mature, you have your following or the people. You think about David and his mighty men of valor that were a bunch of renegades that he had to raise up and really start a nation, a sub-nation, <laughs> in the wilderness that would become his leadership and his strongmen once he reigned and ruled. That took time. And Moses, he gets started and placed ladder. Joshua, ladder you. And so, again, when you're called and when the fullness of what you're supposed to do happens can be two very different times. Usually are, if you're meant to last. It's rare that you see somebody blow up huge in their youth that has staying power. And she did share that. Yes, yeah, she shared that. They are balloon. They are blown up. They usually go off to the scene for years because what they had to give was not ready for longevity. It wasn't ready for the public many times. And so having to be groomed and cultivated uh, is essential. Sitting under the right mentor is essential. The value of sitting under someone like Dr. Price, who has paid the price. The price is right. <laughs> is that what he said on Daystar? The price is right when she came on the show. Over and over and over again, many prices that we will have to pay 
but proven. Uh, even when I was watching Anna sing, and she talked about an older photographer and something that he wanted to do, and she said that he had earned the right to ask for something that nobody else had ever asked before. And since, they probably wouldn't do it for anyone else anyway. And she said, let the master always lead. And I thought, what a statement. Because once you classify someone as a master, when they weren't the right to be classified, because right now we slap a master class on just about anything under the sun for people sometimes who have, they just got there. Somebody discovered you, like she said, they discovered you two years ago, and now you're doing a master class on something that you have not done for more than five years. And not five concentrated, that's all kind of thing. And so when she made that statement, let the master always lead, I thought, wow, that's profound because these are the things that we have learned under our apostle when you study the word of God and to hear, because a lot of times, I just cannot reiterate this enough, that because we are in a Christian environment, we don't respect the masters. Sometimes the closer you are to someone, the harder it is to respect their expertise. And you know, you know your leader's leadership is under attack when you have a real rolling in your mind of all their failures that you perceive to be failures. Because sometimes what we perceive to be failures of our leaders are not actually failures. And then some of them actually are. And then you have that rolling through your mind, and you start getting all defensive, and what I remember is, and what I know is, and, and when they want to speak into you, and then the pushback. And so you have to always register where you are as an individual when you're sitting under a master. Because when you reach that master level, it's instinctual to you. It's in your blood. It's in your brain. It's in your cells. It's in your sleep. It's everywhere you go, everywhere you turn. See, the rest of us pick it up and put it down. I have homework to do. I pick it up. I put it down, homework is done, I need to go hang out with this, I need to go do that, I'm going to go travel, I'm going to go have fun, I'm going to pick up another subject, and we don't realize how much when you are not a master, you pick it up and put it down. Pick it up, now you might, and the higher you go, you might carry it a little while longer, get stronger, looking for the moment where you go, whoo, but someone who hits that master level, it's who they are. It is who it is the essence of who they are. And so if you're under a master, you have got to accept. Literally, they can't help it. You can't help it. That's right, to sip on a cup of coffee. You say, you know that picture was crooked. 16 miles down the street. What picture? I know y'all don't even see it yet. It's not even crooked. When you get closer, oh, no, 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 And then you start. You start, you start scrolling, and it would happen. They were right. You want to insult somebody really deeply, always tell them they're right after you told them they're wrong. Now, you may not realize that you are dismissing because that might be your actual way of thinking. Well, I'll see for myself. Look, a lot of us have that I'll see for myself mentality. It's so irritating when somebody asks you a question, you give them an answer, and then they say, are you sure? Are you sure? That's, is that why you asked me? If I wasn't sure, I would have said, oh, I'm not really sure. I think it might be possible. Don't, don't quote me on it. You know, all those things. Look into it. Man. But always questioning, always doubting, because when you are under a master and you are not a master, 
it can be challenging to accept that somebody can know that sub their subject so well that they don't have to cogitate and meditate and, and have wait for an impartation, three levels from God, two sessions of prayer, mm-hmm. and every and fasting and, and everything else before they get an answer. That might be what it took you. But that is not that is not what it takes them. And when you sit under somebody who has mastered their subject or like our possible subject, mm-hmm. it can do something to your ego that you didn't think you had. When you realize that somebody else really has mastered what you keep picking up and putting down. Yeah. And picking up and putting down. And giving some time here and time there. Well, I read a book here and I read a book there. And I did this and I did that. But nowhere near. We can say, I can say, I've been with Dr. Price's ministry for 20 years. I have been involved in many of the church experiences. What I cannot say is that I have been in Dr. Price's shoes as the leader, as the founder. I don't even know half of the things that people said to her that she never told me they did. So I can't say your walk was my walk. Your journey was my journey the way it was for you. Because the way it was for her was not the way it was for me. And the way it was for me was not the way it was for other people who were not in coming up the ranks in leadership or whatever. Everybody's personal experience. And so it does something different to you, <laughs> each person. It really, really does. But you have to say, okay, let uh, the master always lead. And I thought that one summary statement. I, I um I, I thank God for you sharing that. You know, people ask me, how do you, how do you make a decision about your followers who is a mentor and whatever? The one thing that I call a mentor is the one who is not always trying to change you. Mm-hmm. Mentor or mentee? Mentee, rather. Mentors should change. Mentees should be changed. Mm-hmm. Okay. And otherwise, why would you be with someone that you keep wanting to change? You want to change how they do and how. But if you just said it like this and if you just spoke it like that, and if you, but if you just stood this way, if you fixed your tone and all of those kinds of things. Yeah. And, um, uh, and the one thing that I have found is that the mentee that doesn't want to change the mentor is the mentee that's changing into the mentor. Can you just say that one more time? The mentee that doesn't want to change the mentor is the mentee that is changing into the mentor. Now, what does that mean? That means trust. Nobody is going to trust someone who's always criticizing them. That's not, gonna, that's not how you win trust. It is not. And so no one is going to trust someone who's always got a criticism, always got an argument, always got a change, always got to wish you were better. No one is going to trust you. If you're a mentee and your opinions mean more than your development, then you need to go and develop yourself. That's a self-development program. And you need to go and develop yourself. Because... When you are a mentee, you're there because you're looking to become what you've admired and you esteem to. And so that esteem is now turned to aspiration. You're aspired to be this person. Then you, know, you, you go to a mentor to be changed, That's true. to be groomed. You go to lay down your opinions. You go to lay down your thoughts. You go to dispel your own whatever they might be. That is why you go to a mentor. You don't go to a mentor as an audition. Nobody wants you to audition.
as if we're auditioning because we want to go to show off. We want to go to talk about how much we have. And, and all of that is to subtly say, I'm here for you to approve me, not improve me. And you know she said something very similar to that. 35 years is 35 years. She said, people come into the interview with me, and I can tell immediately when they're rattling off all the things that they think I want to hear and not the truth about who they are. Because... That's not why they're there. And, and, and so I don't, I literally do not regard a mentee that can't shut up. I don't regard a mentee that continually tells me how it is for them. Because if I'm the one you're coming to because I've achieved, I've arrived, I'm something, then I, I'm not supposed to learn from you. And, and to me, such mentees are always trying to teach you what they got. So they're not good learners. But if they're not a good learner, then they're not a good Mentee, and if they aren't a good mentee, they will never be a good guard. They will never be a good supporter because they will always have you will always have to fight their agenda and yours. And in the church, we call that an Absalom spirit. Absalom thought that by virtue of being his child and being the the uh, kid of the king and being the brightest one and the quickest one and the most achieved one, he just knew he was a shoo-in for his father's position. And so his, uh, this father aged, he ran around and he had a, my dad did an old campaign, y'all better suck up to me. That's, that was Absalom's mom. My dad's getting old and listen, I've got the long hair, I'm the beautiful one, I'm the gifted son, I'm talented, I'm brilliant, I'm innovative. So he had his own campaign in the nation to win the people over so that he would be an immediate shoe He had a lot of books. So he'd be immediate shoo for the seat on the throne. Now, here's the difference between an Absalom. See, we're Christians, so we can say Absalom. You know, if I was in another thing, I'd have to come up with something else. What I can't tell you right now. <laughs> Since I don't have to, I won't. <laughs> but the difference between whom, who Absalom thought he was and who God knew he was is the fact that God took Absalom's head. Let him know you are campaigning for a leadership that's not ordained to you, and he took his head. And so, hence being very symbolic, I'm getting your leadership candidacy out of my way. So Absalom's attitude was different. Absalom figured, if I win the people, I've got the throne. David's attitude is, if I can pour myself into you. If I can literally dump me into you, you'll keep my throne. And you'll keep it my way. And some of you all, you've got to put your children in position. You've got to put your nephew. You've got that nepotism dynasty thing going on. But you need to find out who's going to keep the work that you have done when you're gone and you're no longer there to impose it. So I do a lot of thought thinking. So when you look at the two sons, the one God ordained and the one who ordained himself. Mm. You understand, Absalom was politicking every day. He was doing favors. He had this, little, he had this, this list of people that he was on. He had given promises. He'd already given out promises to people that, if, that they would accept him and, and embrace him as king. And so he virtually took the people's heart from his father so that the people would follow him, and they would. He did, and he did it by thoroughly discrediting his father. 
He kept talking about dad sick, dad getting old, dad got spread, dad been at it a long time. That's subtle language for he's on the way out, and you all should shift your trust and your faith to me. That's Absalom. Now, whether Absalom meant his father harm or not is debatable, because he may not. But the fact of the matter is he did his father harm. And he did it because he had his own views, his own perspective. He felt that what Solomon got taught, he could reign because for him it was calm. Mm-hmm. See, we've had that over the, over the last 20 years, that, 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 that tension between caught and calm. Absalom caught it. But Solomon got it from David because David taught it. And you don't know that Solomon is the chosen one because Solomon is in class. Solomon's in school. Solomon's learning Jesus' wisdom. You, anybody hear what I'm saying? Solomon is doing all of that. And nobody realizes it. He's not out politicking. He's not taking every revelation and making it a, a platform. He's not out handing out cards. and He's not out winning his own stuff and setting up his own organizations and making promises. Solomon is learning to be like David. And, if, and, and I'll tell you, Solomon is so much... Much like David, he had David woman issues. He had, he, I mean, he brought, he brought it all to him. But Solomon, the Bible says we don't often hear this because we talk about Solomon, and we ask, ask if Solomon had no wisdom until he had that dream from God and that visitation. But the Bible says that David had the wisdom of an angel of God. He had angelic wisdom. That, that Enochian wisdom. And that is what Solomon got while Absalom was politics. Because Absalom didn't have time to be home. I'm not going to be sitting at home, sitting there listening to you. I'm not going to be doing that. He had to be out winning the country, wooing the country, hoping to win it. And when you are a leader, and, and you know, especially if you're a person, when you get a certain age, you have fought so many wars and so much crazy, you're like, I already made up my mind. I don't care what you say. And that's what happened. Even when David, you know, David's son put him off the throne, he had to go into hiding because they were so obsessed with getting him out of the way. They were so obsessed. He couldn't take his own leader. He couldn't take his own replacement. He couldn't do anything but get out of their way because they had heard from somebody. And you don't realize that as long as that person is sitting and and, uh, on the planet and whatnot, they still make the final successor statement. So when Adonijah decided that I'm going to, my dad won't die, and we're waiting for this guy to die, and keeps hanging on. Every time I go around, then we pull the plug. We have already, we turn out the lights. We've done everything. He keeps coming back. He won't die. This king won't not die. I, I, I'm supposed to be there because he's, I mean, his competition is eliminated. His only competitor seems to have been because nobody, nobody counted Solomon. His only competitor seems to have been Absalom. He's gone. And he learned from Absalom. Well, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. You know, I'm going to pay attention. And nobody considered Solomon because Solomon came from Bathsheba, that woman who wrecked our father's life. Nobody thought that the Almighty would take a child born from all of that crisis, all of that calamity, from all of that uncleanness, and put that child on the throne. Nobody believed that. I would imagine Solomon's life was horrible. You're nobody. You're 
Nobody wants you. Oh, why are you here? We all know you'll never be king. And meanwhile, Solomon is so good, he's not telling him, yeah, but when, while you all are out politics and dad's giving me classes. Right? So politic on. Just keep on politicking because I'm moving. And so Solomon is getting, I want you to hear how powerful this is because some of you all are poor. You're choosing these people with a front runner. You got them out front. They're charismatic. They can prophesy you up and prophesy them down. They can prophesy Jesus back on planet E. They can do all of that. They can, they can sing, write books. They can preach to the fact that they can preach themselves into an asthma attack. I'm telling you. You know, I mean, all of this here, you know, we're all excited about the young preachers. So was God, but God wasn't excited about the young preachers. Matter of fact, Solomon must have been an awesome preacher because Ecclesiastes called him preacher, but it took more than that to make him one. So Solomon is growing up, and I'm telling you, he's not saying a word. He probably feels inferior, too. Like, well, I can't do Until he starts getting classes. And when he starts getting classes, the innate chip of wisdom is in him because he's clearly not telling his brothers. And if he is, they're not believing him. Well, I hear that you and dad talk. I mean, y'all just talk, chat, 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 chat. You know, kind of like that, that he saw Jacob think. You know, but Jacob, Jacob was out there. I, I mean, Esau, Jacob stayed home with his mom because he was running on the word of the Lord. And so God told David long before Solomon grew and came of age, this is who I'm going to replace you with. And the others decide, I'm going to change that. Dad gets old and whatever, we're going to, I'm going to be the one. I'm going to be the one. Clearly, they either didn't believe their father or didn't think Solomon would be the one or thought that no matter what, they can change David's mind in the course of history. Uh-huh. 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 See, Solomon was history's destiny. So Solomon is getting classes. And you don't realize that because we teach Solomon so much. We don't realize that Solomon didn't get wisdom in an instant. Right. And he didn't get wisdom being public. His, he, he did not perfect the public image and a public demeanor and a public conversation or communication to become wise or be thought wise. He did not. He was running on nothing human. He was running on nothing carnal. He was running on nothing but what he knew that God Almighty told him you are going to be king. That's all. And we don't hear it. Now, we don't know whether he went out and played. What did he do with his hundreds of other brothers and sisters? Because he had hundreds. You know, David was a big boy. And so we don't know what he did. But his brothers didn't believe that his father meant what he said. So Solomon is in class with David every day. Can you imagine? He never leaves him. When Adonijah is ready to bump him, they know where to find Solomon. He's in palace. David didn't have to say, go find Solomon. He didn't have to tell them because when you're successful, you never leave. Because you're smart enough to know that if you leave, someone else can step in your place. Successors don't leave. John knew he was going to be that one. Peter knew he was going to be successor, but who really knew it was James? Not the James that was killed, but the James that grew up with Jesus. He knew he was like Solomon. Everything that Peter didn't have time to to listen to because he's off doing something else, being politicking. Because Peter was clearly approachable. He was 
clearly that God had needed folks to like him. He needed that sociability. He needed to be out there. He did. And he finally got out there so far, Jesus' brother took his place. You know, you don't hear people say, now, I wonder how that switch happened. Right. Peter starts as the head of the, the uh, apostles' council, and next thing you know, he's in Galatians and James running the ship. How is that? Because James was with Jesus all the time. When you read John 7, James is uh, with Jesus' brother, and they say for his brothers, but they're two brothers you know never left him. James and Jesus. And can you imagine, like, like Solomon, they're sitting at Jesus' foot with John, because you know John never left Jesus. Never left him. We don't know where the other apostles were, but John was standing there when Jesus was dying on the cross. And Jesus knew that as long as he had a John on the planet, what he started, his work that he started, would be kept the way he started it. It would be his vision. It would be his dream. So here's John, here's James, and here's Jude. But what do we get all excited about? Peter, James, and John. We, and the twins were cute. Come on, who wouldn't want the novelty of twins? Look at it. And I have nothing against that. I'm telling you the story the way it went. But it was those three that were on the mountain. Those three were on the mountain with Jesus. And yet, you know, uh, James is beheaded. Peter is the frog. He's off doing something else. At least he's not in his seat. He was we went, when he went from being in the founding leaf seat. Why? Because the Lord is smart enough to know what you do when out of the public eye. He knew, getting back to David and Solomon, he knew Solomon knew Israel. Solomon knew politics. Solomon knew business. Solomon knew um, warfare. He knew um, being a, a, what do you call it, nationhood. Solomon knew that. Why? Because Solomon was with his father every day. Not getting a list. Not giving affirmation, but literally listening to his father open the archives and archives and archives and books and whatnot and bringing them to him and explaining them by letter and spirit. So you can read it by letter, but you need a human to give the spirit. Because letters are literally spiritized by humans, by saying it, speaking it out loud, showing it, dramatizing it. So when you are a mentee, and you want to assure your spot? Because a lot of a, a lot of people, God made a promise to Jeroboam. He said to Jeroboam, if you continue in Solomon's, you know, doing right by Israel and whatnot, he knew Solomon's footsteps or why Jeroboam was corrupt, because Solomon couldn't hold on like his dad did. See, Solomon could not keep the fort because the one thing that he kept doing was what took his father out, how he came into existence. And that is he couldn't. Get the appetite for women out of his place. And so he spent a lot of time wooing and winning women. And that many women in your soul or that many men in your soul will take you from everything, destiny being the least of them all. But before he, he got to that point, before he gave, to, gave into that appetite to the point that that appetite began to own him, it began to habilitate him. Rehabilitate him from Christ, from his nation God, to the monarchs and royals of the earth. Because that's what kings did. 
He became a human king. He became mortal in his kingship. So, but but how did he get the throne? He didn't get the throne by politicking. He didn't get the throne by going out telling people all of these things. He got the throne by knowing what it takes to keep it. So he wasn't bored when David started talking. He when he sat there, David opened his mouth. He sat there, sit in his scroll, and you know, leap. I don't know. But he sat there and listened, even if the stories were repetitive, because just like a rerun, there's always something you miss. So when you think, and I'm talking, I am right now speaking to all of you all who are both mentors, mentees, leaders, and potential successors or actual successors. You know a poor successor when they tell you how things are going to change when they take over. Now, whether they should change or not, that's not debatable here today. But a, success, a poor successor will tell you, if when I get in power, as soon as I take over, you know he did, and this is that, and blah, blah, blah. And they assume that the predecessor hasn't seen the future. David left Solomon with some very interesting um, mandates. And one of the mandates was that Solomon retaliate against Shimei, who cursed him at his lowest point. He said, now, I couldn't touch him in my time, but I need you to fix this because we need him out of the nation because him and his following are corrupt. I thought that's very interesting. Because you assume that you know everything that the successor is going to do and that the successor is going to tell you. Only those who have no respect or regard for the predecessor. So you listen to them, and you listen to what people say they told them. Listen, yeah, because brother so-and-so, bishop doesn't work, pastor, you know, who and that, told me, you know, that, you know, in the future, we soon going to be doing this, and we're going to be doing that, and we're not going to be doing this, and we're not going to be doing that, and this person's going to be gone, and that person's going to be gone. See, that is a problem. That's what Absalom did. And that's what Adonijah did. Had all these conversations around his father. All of them around his father. So everybody had a say in the nation's future except the king who was going to pass it on. Don't ever make promises in the name of your leader that your leader has not authorized you to make because it reveals something very unsavory about you. Don't give out gifts and rewards because it's bribery. You know, we don't talk about bribery in the church, but the church is a hotbed of bribery. I have to say this because I've been at this thing a very long time, and one of the things that people like me don't like is you assume that we were squatting because if you were in our position, that's all you'd be doing. See, but I've been watching. We don't just squat. We watch. We look at the future. We examine we test. I got a Jesus, and my Jesus talks to me. And we don't just talk by, by abstract. I am like Moses. You know, if there's a prophet, among, a prophet among you, Numbers 12, 6, I, the Lord, speak to them how? Visions and dreams. Not so with my servant Moses. Somewhere between the, the leprous hand and the chest. And the time that he gets a wife, Moses got elevated yes. 
to God face to face, eye to eye, mouth to mouth, buddy. So Moses no longer had to wonder what God thought. He didn't have to wait. God said, he said, I don't speak to him in dark things. I speak to him bluntly. You get dark things because y'all don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> and I know you're going to change my saying to your own understanding. Not so with my servant Moses. He said, my thoughts to him are as clear to his mind as they are for mine. So his mind is clear. Moses did not have to say, I got to seek God and I got hope that he would help me. Get. No, he didn't have to do that. There are things that God says to people that he has put at the top as sovereign and savior that the people beneath them can't fathom because they are spiritually discerned. The natural mind perceive not the things of the spirit of God because they are spiritually discerned. I've been talking um, over the last couple of weeks about spiritual wisdom in action because these spiritual wisdom and natural wisdom are not the same. Paul knew the difference. Mm-hmm. Paul knew that there was a wisdom from fallen angels. Oh my. And Paul knew that there was a wisdom for fallen humans. And he knew that there was the wisdom of this world that gave them both their information. And he knew that there was a wisdom that comes from above. And he did it by fruit. He said, the wisdom from above is, and, and, and the fruit of the Spirit. So there is, there is, it's important for us to get that. And I think that's been great because it led me into what I want to discuss with you today. But I need you to recognize that the person who's public is not always the person who's chosen. The loud mouth, the singer, the dancer, the one that yells amen so loud in the church that it, blo- it literally blocks the mic. That's public. It's what happens in secret. And it's what even that predecessor knows about the public one that makes it makes a difference. David knew Absalom. He cried about it because he's my son, but he knew. As a matter of fact, David's officials were hot with David. Do you not know what this kid is doing? Are you not paying attention? Those closest to David knew. Him, Elijah, and everything else that he had going on. They knew it because your real God will know when your seat is at risk. When your position, your stature, your regard, your reputation are at risk. They sense jeopardy. Now, they may not say it because, they, first of all, they don't know how to voice it. And in church, we're not allowed to say such, such things in some churches because there are some churches that don't care. I'm on top, I'm standing on top, and I don't care what anybody who threatens that is gone. Because the Bible tells us to keep that which has been entrusted to us. Keep it. Look up the word keep. Because it's an interesting term. It's me. So you have got to, as a leader, is, are any of you all out there listening? Because this is tilted. Are they getting me or what? Okay, I'm happy. Are you all out there listening to me? Because if you are, I want feedback from you. If you have a question, I want fresh questions. And if you're in that predicament, the predicament that I just discussed, I want you to answer me. I want you to tell me about it. If you've been a victim of it, if you yourself have, for example, done it, you know, naively, not, not intentionally, you weren't trying to be a menace, you were really trying to be a help. If that's you, 
want to hear from you because this is a big issue, and, and 2020 is the year to reset, which means a lot of things are changing. A lot of seats are getting ready to be vacated. A lot of ministries are going to be either shut down or completely overhauled. A lot of, a lot of pastors are getting ready to make a mistake in handing off their ministries because they feel they're older, and you're going to hand it off to a kid. And if that kid was not a follower to you, you need to loose that and let him go. Because that kid will take it in a whole other direction before you know it. You be like, you know, you be in theatrical things. You be not welcome. You be persona non grata in your own church. Hard reset is really hard, and and, and that means a lot of things. You better inspect that which you want to entrust, and inspect it carefully. Put together some quality assessments, some quality t- uh, testers. It's important. You know, you walk into the mall. You got before you get to the perfume. You got the testers to see if it fits you. We know it might be good for the public, but is it right for you? You need to figure that out. I so want to hold sessions. I'm trying to figure out how to do it where this wisdom can be compacted and and, and given to you in a very orderly, systematic uh, way that allows you to rethink some of the plans you have for your leadership. And also to answer questions you have about leadership that just don't strike you the right way. It is not as if they're doing anything wrong because spiritual wisdom and intellectual wisdom, natural wisdom and human wisdom, they're different. They have different indicators. And you need to know the indicators. Because if you don't, you will go and still, you know, choose somebody because they wear nice suits and they wear $1,500 watches and all of that. The fact that a watch that those TikTok is uh, that fifteen hundred dollars is important to them, and not just an accoutrement. Should talk to you because that talk that speaks to a value system. That speaks to appraisal. So you have to think about it. Think about it. And I'm saying this because God gave this to me for you today. He kept talking to me about it for you today. Some of you are about to make a really big mistake. And who you are choosing is not who God has selected. Find your Solomon, which shouldn't be hard because true Solomons are sitting at your feet. They don't leave you. They're not out doing other jobs. They're not out doing other things. They're not out trying to find their way. They're not out trying to use what they can get for you as quickly as possible so they can rise as fast as they can so they can remove you. They're not out doing that. The Solomon is with you to become you to keep what you have created, what you've built, what you've envisioned, as you did it, keeping your vision not just in paper, not just in fact, not just um, in writing, but in spirit. Because see, it's the, the, the spirit that does it. Because the life of all flesh is spirit. The spirit without the, I mean, the body without the spirit is dead. So you may have a body of documents, but do your people know the spirit of those documents? Do they share? Or do they say, yeah, well, we just do this because, you know, but, you know, when I'm in charge or if I had it, if it were me, as soon as I get it, pay attention. You need to pay attention to what people do with your thoughts, what they do with your prayers, what they do with your vision, what they do. What do they do with it and how are they handling it? Are they handling it 
by modifying it for what they call uh, the, the future or the present, or are they handling it, recognizing the eternal things from the temporal? You, your, your Solomon knows the difference. You know, we, we, that uh, context, that exercise that Solomon had with the two mamas and the baby, Solomon knew one thing. A, a grieving mother will, will, don't, does not care what happens to any kid. And a real mother will get laid out her life for her kid. He operated on that with those classes. He had wisdom classes with his dad. He knew that. Solomon knew between his brother and himself, the brother who had already coronated himself, who had to literally unravel his coronation, he knew that when his brother asked for a, when his brother asked for a wife, the wife that his dad had, he knew what his brother was doing. You take the woman, you got the secret. So he wanted that wife so that he could understand by virtue of her being with David all those days before he died, he could literally milk her for information and make his brother's brain vulnerable. See, we, we, see, when, you, when you understand it, you think like it. You listen to how they think. So I've got, I've got my, 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 the woman who laid at my father's feet, listening to him, listening to him sleep, listening to his outburst, dreams, whatever, listening to all the conversations that were happening in and out of his room, I got her. It wasn't just sex. It wasn't just who's going to make dinner and watch TV at five. It was all that she picked up laying at his father's feet. Solomon sat at his father's feet, and she laid at his father's feet. And that's why Solomon says, why don't you just ask for the kingdom? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. David's sons had the mind of heirs, but they did not have the mind of a monarch. Because they would have known how what they were doing was really speaking to the throne and it's the nation's future. Because there's a way that people who have to keep the top top think. And most of it is not even uh, logic, uh, logical or, or literal conversations. It's not coming in their mind. It's years and years of instincts that have become a library, a library that has become an institution. You know, an institution has become a stronghold. And a lot of this stuff is working seamlessly. Don't assume just because you know what people have said that you understand why they said it. Don't assume that just because you hear people's thoughts, you've heard their truth. This is, this is, you know, wisdom. I want to have wisdom for leadership. One day I'll get a chance to do it before I leave here. It's the Lord of Lord is willing. You know, I don't want a whole lot of people in that class, so don't worry about you. That's the measure by, yeah, but only 12 people came. 12, 12 might be too many. And no matter how much these people are putting on these audios, you're getting a thumbnail of what they really know and how they live. Because certain things you should take to your grave. And other things you should save for the one. Jesus is the one that God put everything in. 
and then he scattered so that no one would ever have everything again. No single person would. Oh. They're, you know, they're gesturing here. I have to do this. And so, and, and, and the wonderful thing about being who I am is that I didn't make myself, so I'm excited about that. I'm made by the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost is going to take care of his interests. And that's something that even David's sons didn't get. They did not realize that the God of Israel was going to take care of his vested interests in Israel. And there are times that God shifts things and moves things because his interests are at risk. His interests are being threatened because every high leader has an accountability to the power that made them. And you need to recognize sovereign means overpower when it, when it threatens me. God's going to overpower whatever threatens his interests and his goals, his end goals. And I know that. Because there are things that I'm thinking, but God, it's not right. It is not all right. No, it is not. I'm not doing that. No. Or either he'll say, which I think is really kind of the most, um, most kind of uh, unsettling one, he'll say, leave it for me. Leave this with me. I'm taking it over. See, that, and that's when you can't say anything. You know, I, I, you, know you, want to, you want to intercede, you want to do whatever thing. No, sovereignty is looking after its own best interest. We're going to see that in the United States of America and the world. It won't be too long before we start seeing sovereignty looking out for its own best interest. You're going to see some of the most wildest, weirdest, bizarre, and grisly things happen because sovereignty is about to take care of its own best interest. God said, I'm not done with America. I don't care what the devil says. So you're looking at all of these people, yeah, you know, they, they, they with the Illuminati, they with the witches, they with the wizards and whatnot. Let me tell you something. All of them got kicked out of heaven when Lucifer did. If he could do, if he could do better, he wouldn't. He wouldn't be down here running with death when he was kicked out of life. He, he can only use destruction. If he could construct, he wouldn't. And everything he constructs, God looks at him like he did battle. Oh, let's see how far you go this time. Okay, I'm sick of this. Boom. Because God doesn't just own heaven and earth. He's in it. It takes them a thousand devils to get one power working. It takes us one Holy Ghost to work all powers. People say, how do you know you're right? They need so much help. That's why they need committees. We need committees because with committees, you you breach the fabric of unity, and I'm not against committees. (laughs) But you do scatter that fabric of unity, and you've got all of these other things coming involved, getting involved. So I want you to understand, sovereignty, the founding deity, the founding God, and it is not the gods of these nations. They are the founding God. They are the leasers. They own a little lease left here. They own the lease. I'm going to say something because I'm going into the spirit of prophecy, and I want you to see this. You have to recognize if you are going to be God's messenger in this hour, in this day, in this age, you must recognize creation is Christian. Write it down in your notes. Creation is Christian. 
Because people keep saying, well, you, you, I mean, you look at it. <laughs> the pagans keep saying, well, why do the Christians don't go away? Because it's ours. Well, as soon as we get rid of the Christians, you will not get rid of the Christians. And when you do, you'll have a world you can't handle. You can't get rid of us. Because we are the heirs. We are the offspring of the Godhead. You see, part of why you all have allowed this crazy to happen is because you lost your identity. We are we've been Christianity, identity lost. Because people wiped Jesus out, and then we took out the Bible, and so then you became a Christian by virtue of a pew. By virtue of a belief. Important. Christian, creation is Christian because creation is Christ. I want you to say that with me three times. Creation is Christian because creation is Christ. Creation is Christian because creation is Christ. Creation is Christian because creation is Christ. How are you all getting it online? Do you have it Facebook? So when a prophet decides to prophesy by another deity, that prophet is doing so for one of two reasons. <clears throat> Number one, they actually believe that what they're saying is from the God of the maker of all creation. Or number two, they have defected from the maker of all creation. As long as Christians keep saying, we're no, we're no different, our difference doesn't show up until we die, you know, we don't have to worry about it, we're, I mean, we're no better than you, we're all human, we are all human, but not all of us are human divine by the maker. Because every human comes from some spirit. The spirit of your father, the spirit of your mother, the spirit of the land. They keep saying they don't believe it. Well, it's the spirit of America. Well, if we, do we believe in spirit or do we not? Don't make up our mind. And we are born again from above by the maker. Christianity is not a world religion because it's a world possessor. We own the world. That's why Paul said to them, all things are yours. That thing bothered me for a long time. I kept saying, how can all things be ours and whatever? He said, but if you don't want to possess it, it's on you. God is like, we worked it out in our world. We got him out. We purged his sin. We cleansed his error. And we, we washed all of the citizens from him. We not only revived them, we brought the dead ones that he killed back to life. And we brought them not back to the life they had that was vulnerable, like Adam. We brought them back to the life that's in Jesus Christ that can never end. How are you all doing? Are they working with me? I know I'm going in some very interesting places, but I'm going where we live, where we were begotten. Because we were in Christ before the foundation of this world. And according to Proverbs 8, we were in Christ before God created anything. We are the original first project. Jesus and us, we were in Jesus. So as he's the first prophecy, so are we. We are the firstborn, and then we ended up being when we got embodied. So I, why am I saying this? Because when I read this, I want you to understand why the prophetic institution is getting ready to be rocked in this court. That God is getting ready to shake this thing called prophetic. And he's getting ready to rattle the cages of all of those who say they are and are not. 
as well, like he's done with false apostles. But I want you to recognize your confidence cannot be in faith and script or narrative. Your confidence has got to be in your genetic, in your gene pool, because spirits come from the Father and spirits in seed. See, spirits are seed. Isn't that wonderful enough? So when God made, took you from being the, the father that begot you, the sperm that begot you, and put you in Jesus Christ, you became what you were before the foundation of the world. You cannot prophesy by another God. You can expose them, but you can't prophesy by them. Not if you are a real offspring of the Godhead. You can't. It makes you sick. Something inside you just skews. You can't do it. And, you, and, and Jesus makes perfect sense to you. He just does. You cannot, I don't know that you can always articulate that sense, but he makes perfect sense to you. So when God speaks, everything creation has his voice. Every other voice is kind of like a thin trust. It overlays the voice of God, which is why God can deliver people. See, as long as God doesn't say a word, then the voice that's sustaining them will act as if it's authentic. But when the truth comes, it breaks the sound barrier, and it breaks the sound, and it's not the sound of the failed. It's not the sound of the fallen. It's not the sound of the doomed. It's the sound of life. Lazarus, come forth! Yes. Like, I got you, bro. You're never coming back. But the sound of life that created Lazarus scared death off of him. And he had to let it go. I'm just saying. I'm sipping coffee. That example alone tells you why our prophecies will obliterate false prophecies if we say it from the same position that Jesus is. I'm the son of the living God. I'm the offspring of the Godhead. I am the ancient of days. He said it as an I am. And we have been so talked out of thinking that we're God and thinking we're like God and that we're only mortal humans. Ain't nobody telling you that the devil's and the, the devil's channeling the crazy. I am what my dad is. I am filled with all the fullness of the Godhead Father. I sit in heavenly places in Jesus Christ. I am offspring of the Godhead. I am the divine seed of Almighty God. See, I don't have an identity crisis. And let me tell you something. When you say those things before you preach and before you speak and before you prophesy, I promise you heaven got to come for the truth. See, because God's got to back God. God doesn't have to back us. If we're not standing in him, he's not going to step out of his righteousness to back our sin. So if you back God, God's going to back you. So uh, this is there of John on the Isle of Cosmos, and he said, Revelation 19, 10, and I fell at his feet to worship him. Now, that's how superior God's angels are. The apostle John, who knows Jesus, who knew Jesus personally, He's ready to worship an angel. But see, this is, the, this is how you know an angel from a devil. Because it doesn't say the angel stood there and said thank you and, and whatever and let him lick his feet. 
He did it to, and he said unto me, See thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. You want to know a paganist? This is a test. You want to know an occultist? This is a test. Because they all think they're God and that they are each one do their individual worship. But God's people, God's citizens, heavenly and earthly, want God's glory because they know he's been through. They know what he's put up with. He, they know what people do to him. They know how ugly it is for him and how gracious he is for not retaliating man, by holding his feet. They understand. We want to worship God for his long suffering because half of us wouldn't let our cat dog children do the things that us, that, they, that people do to Christ. And so they said, no, worship God. Jesus will tell you worship God. Why? Because God made him. Not because he's any less God. He said, worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now, when we hear it quoted, and I've said it before, when we hear it quoted, we quote it as Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Why? Because if you knock out the testimony, you knock out the gospel. If you knock off the word testimony, you eliminate the Holy Spirit who is here to bear witness to the testimony. So then it becomes, prophecy becomes the standalone centerpiece of all divine communication. And that just, my friends, it is not so. Now, I, I want you to see how this goes. So I developed this thing, if, if, if the, the the Jesus Christ spirit of prophecy is what we're talking about, then we need to know how do we prove that? Testimony of Jesus Christ. Just look up the word testimony and go all the way back to its etymological roots. And list all of the synonyms. Then you'll know how to test a prophecy. See, testimony, test. Not just witness, test. So witness is about the knowledge and intelligence, and the test is about the proven. So the testimony, that means every prophecy has to got, have some element of the gospel, of the Old Testament, of the pre-Old Testament. Because we're talking about Old Testament like we say Old Testament as if, it, as if it's the law, but the Old Testament had a point of origin called Sinai. And before Sinai, we had, there was no Testament in the classic sense of the world. So we have to go from Genesis is not under the law. So I know y'all ain't going to talk about that. Exodus, not under the law. Numbers, not under the law. Because they had to be finished to be the law. That's why we ended up with Deuteronomy that captured and encapsulated everything that happened up to Sinai. So the Old, the, the Old Testament is not entirely the law of Moses. Moses wasn't back in Genesis. He wasn't there. He we didn't get Moses to Exodus. And it took Moses a good little bit to get millions of Jews out from under Egyptian bondage. And Moses didn't get the law until we get to Sinai. Because they were operating under the law of faith, which is Abraham. Abraham's promises. So the Old Testament is God's law by faith. 
So how are you going to prophesy and you don't realize that? So God will say certain things to you, and you'll say, that's not God. Why? Because you don't know what he said. The Bible is a record of affirmation and corroboration. It is not the method or instrument into whatever God is doing. The Bible is a tool. It's an instrument of corroboration. Corroboration. I got it. And it's to tell you, warm, 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 cold. Up, then hop up, on and off. And it is to let you know, that's why they call it example. Nobody told you the Bible is a history book. It has history. And it has destiny. And it has purpose. And it has events. And it has examples for us. It has characters and figures. It has a narrative. It has all of that. It is not just a history book, because it also has a history of eternity. Who knows that but God? So when you start, people start saying, well, we don't do the Old Testament. I'd like to know what that means. Because the Testament began with the law, Sinai. Up until that point, God had one thing. He had a record of what happened, how we got here, and then he put us under Abraham's faith. So prior to that, we're under faith. Noah, faith. Noah believed God to make a boat for water he'd never seen fall out of the sky. But he was faith and obedience. So we got oh, we got Noah's obedience, Abraham's faith, and then we get to law, which is why you can't please God if you don't have obedience and faith and faith enough to obey. So how would, so that, but listen, now what I just gave you is also Jesus' testimony. Well, no, because it didn't mention Jesus. Yes, it did. It mentioned Jesus way all the way back because he mentioned Jesus in Genesis, uh, the Word. And the Lord said, and you find out down the line that Jesus is God and creator. So that's his testimony, too. So if Jesus can create heaven and earth, he can create your miracle. But that's his testimony. Now, look at the testimony of Jesus Christ. So when you are prophet, a prophet of the Lord Jesus Christ, what distinguishes you from pagan prophets is the testimony of Jesus Christ that he dethroned all their deities and everything they said is subject to God's approval or God's permission or God's indulgence. If God doesn't want something, he doesn't care how many prophecies Nostradamus gave us. He doesn't care about education. He doesn't care about that. He's like, why do I care about that? My, my, my word is already working in creation. So their prophecies must disrupt creation. Our prophecies construct. Does that help you? So look at some of the things we have. When we talk about prophecy, can they see this, the word cloud? Good. You all? Look at the word cloud. What are we talking about? Prophecy. Messianic disclosures, future predictions. So prophecy is legislation. It has spiritual signs. It has spiritual tokens. It's preordained. When you look at this, you now appreciate what prophecy consists of. And you now understand why it's more than houses and cars and lands and babies and marriage and money and food and clothes and stuff, mortal stuff, you know? 
things that are passing away. Now, can we use them? Yes. Divine communication, their enforcement. So when you're a prophet, when you're a prophet, you need to understand that prophecy is intervention, intercession, interjection. God is intervening, and it's always superseding or supplying. So you have to recognize why it's important for you to know what prophecy is and what it means when it says the testimony of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is God. He's creator. He owned creation before he incarnated. We act like he just got it when he rose from the dead. No, he surrendered it. He owned creation. That's why he could spit on dirt and dirt and say, oh, i got to get this man's sight. Man, I've been taking sight for a long time. Now i got to get it. He came showing us that he was already above the earth and everything on it. Death angel got to get out the way so the person could talk and hear. You, how do you do that? Because he owns creation. He ran creation. The Bible says that Jesus has been coming and going in the planet since before eternity ages. How is that? Because everywhere God created, we are, you know, when you hear that, Here's the, um, here's the unsaved talk about the universe. God, they're talking about our world, which is already judged and tearing on and passing away. God has omniverses. He's the omniverse God. So he's omniversal, which means, because the Bible says in Hebrew that God made the world through Jesus Christ. He didn't just become sovereign because he rose from the dead. He, he, what he actually mastered doing managed to do was to draw another species and another creation into their omniversal realms and holding. And that's for good and evil. Y'all with me or what? So when we think about how this works, the testimony of Jesus Christ is not just the cross. That's why people don't prophesy more about Jesus, because you think it's just the cross or just the revelation, or just the ascension, the resurrection. You don't realize that the entirety of creation is Jesus Christ because God does everything by his word. First he speaks, and then he says, let it be. So when you prophesy, and you prophesy all the stuff that has no bearing in creation or has no place in the fixtures of creation, because creation has its own fixtures. So you can say, for example, many of you right now, they're all caught up in this political thing about, you know, the impeachment and all of that. And we're just like, well, you know, because we know that this man is not a God. We know blah, blah, blah. See, that is obvious to you. But to creation that must respond, it's a resistance that is pushing back on. See, because God's word can't return to him void. And if God says, I'm not done with America, he doesn't care what they do. He's letting Satan run out of steam. He really is. He's just allowing him to just, they say, you know, they're just clean stupid. <laughs> because he knows the hollowness of what's so important, what seems so important to us. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world, and they that dwell therein. Now, I don't care how many devils want to tell you that it's not true. The fact of the matter is they can't get back to heaven, so how, what can they tell you? God decoded them, and he decoded their ability to ride on his level, to 
and harmless as dust. We want to be so busy being harmless, we don't have wisdom. But wisdom is a principal thing. They know God. See, you keep checking to master. Ponder. Why aren't you louder? This is what I want to train prophets to do because this all started with prophets. The apostles got a whole other dimension that we've not even gotten to yet. I've not been able to talk because when God strikes everything with prophets. And so you're so busy not wanting to have to face the devil because you didn't listen to too many sermons telling you that they smack and burgers and spread. You can't even handle it. We own creation. We own it. The earth is our God. The earth was created by our God. When you stop saying the kingdom of God and start saying our kingdom because it's ours, our earth, our place, because that's what they say. We own the world. They say. And we're like, we're leaving the world. We're it. Creation is Christian. It is not pagan. It's because if it's pagan, and the way it was before God said, let there be light, is their portion. See, because before God said, let there be light, they were under Holy Ghost arrest. They were the swamp land. They were the black thing. They were the darkness. They were called the face of the sea. They were powerless. They were all of that. He didn't get power until he got him at him. The earth is ours. The heavens are ours. What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you regard him? Why does he think so highly of us? Because we are him and his. We're not just his. We are him and his. Let us make man in our image and according to our likeness. Prophets, stop prophesying paganism. Stop serving shamans. Stop going to all of those rituals. You need to understand they are under your foot. Now, they have a job to do, but they answer to you. Stop answering to them. Christianity has been answering to uncleanness, occultism, and paganism long enough. Stop answering to them. They need to answer to us. We choose the cities they go to. They don't choose the cities they corrupt. We choose it. We choose it. We choose what will and will not be. That's what it meant. They were wise enough to know how God operates, and they were wise enough to tell us that God, of the way we understood God, was legalistic. And who was right and wrong? But we legalistic. We're religion. Well, who is working on a one-world religion? See, that proves we were not wise. We were the idiots. And I can say that, you know, I didn't know the word idiot came from the, came from the Greek word idios, which is you, ego, you. Huh. We let that, we hand it over, like Adam. We were, many of us said, my father was Adam, I wouldn't have done that. Yeah, you did. Yeah, you did. When you were one of those, that 28% evangelicals that voted in Obama, yeah, you did what Adam did. 
And, the, and you're, you're the Christian today that's talking about we need to get rid of Trump and take care of the church and take care of Jesus and try to do righteousness. Yeah, you're doing the same thing. You would have done it. He just did it for you. That's understanding the testimony of Jesus Christ. If you understood that prophecy was supposed to be the testimony of Jesus Christ, you wouldn't have been trained by shamans. You would not have been trained by witches. You would not have been trained by sorcerers and occultists. The reason that you did that is because you did not know Jesus Christ. And you went and you got trained by people who knew him well enough to hate him. So they taught you hatred tactics. That's what they did. Because you walked away thinking Satan, who lost creation, who lost his place, who lost everything in heaven, snapped a whole bunch of stars out that got nowhere to go and nothing to do. You think he's on top. Come on, team. You think he's on top. And see, I don't. I never forget they lost. I never forget. I don't care. And they cut up, but I never forget they lost. I never forget that God put them out, but I also never forget that's where they began which means they have a lot of knowledge ahead on them. And, you know, people want to say, well, you know, you know, one-third of, I used to do that, thank you. I used to do that. One-third of the spies left, they did. But here's the difference between God's version and man's version. God says, so did you not think I didn't replace them? He said, I make stars and angels all day long. I will always have more than he has. The only way he can replicate himself is through mortal humans who must die. He can't replicate himself in no other way. He can't make himself any more angels. He got that one third. He got to work with that fast. That's it. Because the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof, the world, and they that dwell therein. The reason that I can stand is because I know the truth. You shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free, set you free. See? So we need to start changing prophetic education. You all stop going to those schools that's only teaching you how to prophesy. Stop that because there's no power in you voicing. Yeah, yeah, people, I mean, come on, folks are like, mm -mm. it's not the talkative one. Stop going to those classes unless you feel like that's all God calls you to do. But if you're called to be something that rivals what is claiming to rule and dominate the supernatural, then you need to stop. ChristUniversity.org. And no, I'm not apologizing. And yes, I'm making a, pl a plug for my store, and it's not shameless. I'm not, sh I'm, I'm not ashamed. I want you to understand, because we are getting ready to have to prove ourselves before God. God's getting ready to start betting profit for his future. And you need to recognize it. The testimony of Jesus Christ. You can't test a prophecy or judge what is or is not the spirit of true prophecy without his testimony, you just can't. I'm telling you, you can't. When you, you know, First John 4, 1, try the spirit by the spirit. You got all these people who can't spell Jesus three ways straight in a row. I'm talking about, well, you know, the Bible says try the spirit by the spirit. Use a lie. You never read it because it never said that. It never said try the spirit by the spirit. It said try the spirit by the prophet's message to see if it includes Jesus' incarnation. Isn't that real different? What spirit? And I used to ask, well, what spirit? When I was young, I didn't know. I was like trying to figure it out. And you know, I had old bishops and Karen, I was yeah, I'm good. 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 You always know the pride talk. 
Because pride always sounds smug. Try to say it, bow to say it. And then you like, but that doesn't bear witness to my spirit. Your spirit doesn't know the spirit of God. Because if it was, if it's the spirit of God, your spirit is going to say, thank you, we agree. So it says to you in 1 John 4, 1, every spirit, first it says, talk about, give me that book, find that thing in there. Come share that book. Say, I knew I moved it too quick. First John. Yes. You know, John was Jesus' boy. I got stuff this. First John. First John, Peter, and then John. Okay, and then. It's single two, three page books in the end. Everything's packed up, you know? You know, that's when you say endure to the end. You got it? Four, one. She may have better things to do than I got. All right, read First John. Okay. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirit, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Did you ever hear that priest like that? Only in our church. Only when they want to tell you that prophets are false. Mm-hmm. Ah! That's the only time you will hear prophets attached in the New Testament because they don't want to obey God because prophets are going to bring you God's third word. What's the second verse? Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. Now, you know how many how many um, Bibles, etc., take his deity out? Y'all don't know. A lot of them say he didn't come in the flesh. That means that that's a false prophet, but that's also a false Bible. Because there are a ton of Bibles. I like this little Bible which says, you know, if the foundation be removed. You should see how much of Jesus they took out of your Bible that you absolutely love. But if it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a spirit not saying it is false, then a Bible not saying it is false. Isn't that powerful? So there are different Bibles that will tell you all kinds of things. You know, like the, um, the Jehovah's Witness Bible. Well, you know, because we like the little Psalms and Proverbs. But they'll tell you that Jesus is not God. He's all a one of many. No, he didn't fall. And when he fell, he came back. See, Jesus never fell in sin. God pushed him into sin. Huh. And then he came back. Hmm. <laughs> We're all about so the testimony of Jesus Christ is how you measure prophecy. So if you want to know the prophet is real, let them talk to you about Jesus Christ. You want to know if a prophet is right, let them talk to you about Jesus Christ. And I'm going to tell you something. You can tell when they are not because they can't stand the presence of Jesus. It messes with their spirit. Their gut just gets They can't stand truth. So this one here. And then, so when we go and, and plug this into Revelation 19.10, you realize that we talk about try the spirit by the spirit. What spirit? Who? The dog, the cat, the bird in the air, the pigeon around the corner, the waiter that's bringing food? What spirit? <laughs> Test your spirit. No, it never says that. Error. And there's a lot of prophetic error out there. Some of it intentional. A lot of it just Unintentional, just naive, 
go. We never, did you ever hear a friend like that? So a prophet's job is to let us know Jesus is coming and that Jesus has arrived and that he is risen from the dead because the prophets who told, or who told us he was on the way. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Get your mind. Get your mind. But that makes sense as far as the prophetic continuum. Yes. That the office who initiated it is the office who validates it. He confirmed it. Thank you. So you now know why Satan wants prophets to never preach the gospel and to stay on temporal things. They want you in that Greco-Roman model where all you do is predict. You know, when I heard somebody say, well, I just, I, I get prophecies out all day long. I thought, but that's probably because you're not discharging the office. Clearly, you can't discharge the office, so you have to start uttering futurism. Fortune teller. Because I'm going to tell you something. When you are in that office, you don't just decide one person's future. We do that. But you're in that office to fulfill the destiny of creation and the destiny of Christ in people. And if, that, if, if, if in that moment all they're doing is needing you to help them stay in their house, that's fine. That's still the destiny fulfilled. But that should not be all you can do. But well, we have a lot to learn. Are you all appreciating me now? Are they appreciating me now? Yes. See, and you all need to listen. It's prophets. You need to learn the testimony of Jesus Christ. And, you need, and the testimony of Jesus Christ is literally... In the gospel, and we only preach one, I found at least 26, 27 strands of the gospel that we never teach or rarely handle. And we, we just kind of scan it. But the gospel brings us his testimony. That's why he said when this gospel, what gospel? The prophetic gospel. Because the gospel was prophetic before it became apostolic. When the prophetic gospel joins the apostolic gospel and becomes preached in all the world, then the end will come. So you can look at these signs and say the end is tomorrow. It is not. Because this gospel of the man Christ Jesus who came to earth as a prophet Um, yeah, this is really powerful because you've been talking uh, in your Sunday messages about creation being Christian. And as I've been preparing for Sunday school, I've been looking at how much the scripture really does support that. You know what I'm saying? You, you, you hear things, right? it's blowing your mind, right? But you, you missed it in the scriptures. You didn't know that that, that that pattern was laid out in the scriptures very, very clear that creation is Christ. We just never made that connection that that also means that creation is ours because you talked about that today. You know, our, our kingdom, our earth, but that really, that, that brings so much power to the enemy's agenda to make it seem as though the earth belongs to the fallen, right? That it belongs mm-hmm. to these fallen beings. Um, we, uh, as the prophets we were discussing last year, the Pope had gotten together with the Islamic leaders and some of the other major uh, world religion leaders um, to institute the, the covenant of a one religion mm-hmm. agenda, right, um, to make peace. And he, he said our primary job, this is how we know, you know, we talk about the Pope being a false prophet, but that our primary job 
is, and this is what he quoted, to make peace, right, with all religions and to ultimately blend as one. You all should look it up. I'm not making this up. It's happened. They, they did a summit last year in February, and you talked about that today, about the, the goal of the one world religion that we missed in the road on this. Mm-hmm. Because ultimately, while we were being told that religion was of no importance, they were gathering, right? You know, and so just what you're saying is just so powerful, it. you know what I mean? So uh, just you speaking on that, I think it's so powerful. But um, you said something that I wanted you to speak on again, the differences between these wisdoms, right? The spiritual wisdom, intellectual wisdom, and naturalism are different. What, what's, the main, what's the main delineation between these wisdoms and why it's important? Well, uh, I'm going to go with human wisdom. Human wisdom came about as a result of the fall. And human wisdom came from devils, doctrines of devils, seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Those doctrines are BC doctrines where that that means that they are doctrines that predate Jesus Christ, predate the church, which is where they want to go back to. Because they cannot get a one-world religion from Jesus onward because he killed every religion. You see? So you could only get a re- so one world religion is, is a regression. It's taking us back to before the church, back to before Christianity, back to before Christ when the world was polytheistic. See, and again, these are things that, you know, you sitting in prophetic classes and you got people training you to prophesy and end up proper lying because you don't know the truth. How are you going to prophesy something? You did not recognize what they were doing was obliterating your faith because you were so busy being glad to say, well, at least we're not religious, at least we're not legalistic. Well, that, you know, i got to say something. Can I say something I'm saying? You know, I, I, I stumbled upon these videos called The Watchers with this guy, L.A. Mazzulli. I bought every one of them because I started watching a few of them, and he started showing us how far back this campaign that she just discussed began and how they did it. And he talked and he has clips of it. It's about, I don't know, 20 things. I don't know. I've been watching But the one that I like is the age of deception. Every prophet, every Christian should watch this. This man has been slinging and slugging this thing out. And I mean, with videos and, and, and uh, uh, books and, and whatever. And he shows, he has a whole section on the people who channeled the, the devil who said their job is to get rid of, is to change Christianity and rewrite the Bible. They talked about their town, Alice, ba- Alice Bailey, Blavatsky, just Edgar Casey. They all, oh, but you should read what they record. Because if you're supposed to be a prophet of the Lord Jesus Christ, you should have known that. So when those passages came up, you'd recognize it. You know, all of, all of that, even these black Israels and, and Abraham and all of that, all of that is to take Christianity off the map and bring it back to polytheism. So then you no longer have a choice as to heaven or hell. You get a choice as a deity that you want to deceive you. You get a choice of deception. Because God's foil principalities and powers made a show of them openly. He literally destroyed the princes of this world so you have to recognize that these are reconstructed versions. They're not reinvented. They're reconstructed versions of what Jesus destroyed, and they are weaker because their parentage is under arrest, waiting for the last days. So they're working to bring them out in the last days. I want every one of you all to key in on your computer, L. 
A. Mazzuli, M. A. Is it Marzuli? Marzuli, M. A. R. Z. Z. With the two Z. Z. U. L. L. I. That's right. You tell an L. You, by the time you get the M. A. R. You'll find them. Yeah, and especially if you put in the watchers. Yeah, put in. Now don't put in watchers. Put in the watchers plural. And everything he did came up. And I want you to understand. Your prophetic classes will change. Your Bible studies will change as you begin to realize how much the church slid by and let this stuff happen. And all of these people were talking about, well, you know, I'm with this group and I'm with that group and this guy taught us and we aren't supposed to do this. You need to think how masterful this plan is. And then you need to cry and repent because you didn't know your Bible enough to know that they were obliterating it. L-A-Marzoli, M-A-R-Z-U-L-L-I. Okay. Everybody, all of you are buy this, and you better get some CDs and whatnot, because a couple of things are gone. You can't even get them off the internet. And you watch, and he does it. He talks about the, uh, the, the, uh, the bones that they're following, the dig, all of that stuff that we didn't want to do because that wasn't, that wasn't spiritual enough. Mm. But see, because of what he did, I understand the spiritual patterns and practices, and I can find what we're talking about. And the man is biblical. He's scriptural as the day is long. So if you have a school of the prophet, you need to have them start going through this and doing it with the Bible. Now, I know some of you all, you know, because Christians have been conditioned to be fascinated with devils and demonics and all of that, but I'm talking about the real watchers. See, he is a watcher. He was a real watchman on the wall. And he didn't just watch and put it in his journal and put it under the bed. He watched and then made these, got himself a, a director that he works with, got himself, got a couple of movies. And, and, and by the way, don't go on watching this stuff talking about, yeah, but that's Christian cheese. I want you to understand that, let me tell you something, spoil for Le Mignon and still take you out. This man is doing this with the Christian budget. Also, it's unfortunate that the other um, filmmakers for Christ won't get behind and really move in this area. Don't get it, because as soon as I turned it on, the devil talked to me. As soon as I turned it on, he talked to me. And even with that, we act like there is no <laughs> outside of the kingdom of God. You have indie films. <laughs> you have intentionally low budget, whatever. A whole genre upon genre of things out there. And really what we classify as all of that is that big, and it is a conglomerate of people who come together to make something happen. And so even with that nonsense, we really do act like everything, literally, outside of Jesus Christ, is somebody has paid $150 million to do, $500 million to do. And that's just, that's just not the truth. I'm telling you, all I can tell you is that I spent a week watching this, and I'm going to finish it. I've got a lot more. But I said, when I looked at this, and they started talking about what the devil's channels and what we now call Christian doctrine is scary. So, so do you believe that where we're headed in terms of, like, the future of the church or what it's going to look like later is that Christianity moves itself? from what we traditionally consider religion to nationhood. Because I know that when we talk when we talk about the pedigree, we're talking about understanding ourselves mm-hmm. as a citizen, right. right, of God's nation. So is that 
part of a strategy as we move forward, you know, in, in terms of separating ourselves because of the way that religion is, is, is going and it's regressing back to that, this communism? Well, before we ended up with what the church did and, and how we got the, the church being different from statehood or nationhood, all religions were national, like Islam, Buddhism, Hindu. They would only America said, oh, no, we, we, we're too enlightened for that. We're too sophisticated for that. So we're going to have separation of church and state. So you'll be an American by constitution. And so we made a constitutional state. And so by constitution, we are Americans. We're, and, and we are, the constitution covers the ground. So because our ground is covered by constitution, when you're born on our ground, on our soil, you immediately come under the Constitution, which is why they're fighting so hard to get rid of it. Because your religions and nations are usually one of the same, because it's the spirit versus the flesh. So the two pair up in every citizen so that the God of the land is served and the land is better served. That's how that works. Now, here's what else is in Brother Marzulli's stuff. Um, Another thing that they have is why the AI, and they talk about, they have a whole piece on alien abductions. They have three or four pieces on alien abductions, and they have found that everyone who reported an alien abduction actually came back knowing that their reproductive material was taken. Mm-hmm. And they're doing it because the spirits need bodies. So they're testing because they're, they're literally, um, what is the word I'm trying to say? They're literally taking the reproductive material, male, female, all races, it doesn't matter. They're taking that material and they're looking for compatibility with the spirit that they want to reproduce in a being so that they would have their own human construction and the spirit running through that, which is because they're they're running ahead on the beast and the the market. They're going ahead. So the whole, I mean, there's, showing you the scientific things and how they send them, they mark them by sending them back with matter uh, in, uh, signal something or other in their body. So are they really trying to go back to Genesis before the flood when the spirits were reproducing? Yes. They, they, they said as much. Okay. They, they use that Because quote. I know, again, that wasn't real to us. Like, no. that's a story. Like yes. you said, that's history, that's a story that wasn't really a real thing in our minds mm-hmm. today. And um, can you also speak into what the gentleman said about the, the whole alien thing being demons and how yes. we knew? Well, they have, we, um, there, there are some Christians out there flooding for Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And if you can find them, you need to back them. They are wrestling for this man. And they're wrestling for his seed. That's why I didn't know until I watched this week. I did not know why God wouldn't let me off Tenebris. Mm-hmm. Because the, the goal is in the future, there will be one kind of human, and it will be hybrid. They said the agenda is hybridism. They want to go back to the human being spirit and whatever, animals plus. That's why you see this move. This is all part of that move. So he said that... Um, that when they when one one guy went and he had been abducted a couple of times, the final time he got abducted, the last time that he got there, he got saved the day he got abducted. When he did, 
he, he, you know, they did what they do. He said, you're always terrified. You're always so like death is happening. You're screaming. And, and everybody, if you read all of the literature on it, because this guy captured everything, if you read the literature on it, it tells you there's nothing you can do about it. But he had just gotten saved and, you know, said the sinner's prayer, and he's caught in this thing because it comes in the middle of the night. And when it came, he saw it differently. But usually when they start, he said, you can't, you because of live through the night. He said, he shouted Jesus, that thing left. Mm-hmm. I said, so it's still the name above every name. Yeah. Okay, so I just want to make sure. It's the, the name of Jesus is never lost his time. Okay? And so they did, then they hired this group. He created an agency where he just tested people. And he said, they won't tell you the only thing that stops those errors from those abductions is the name of Jesus. I told you. Now, why did we know? While we were all visiting shaman, we couldn't visit this, right? While we were all on witchcraft things and astrology trips, we couldn't do this because we were never in it for Jesus Christ. And yeah, I want you to feel bad enough to repent and glad enough to say thank you for telling me the truth. But he talked about that. So they and and, and all of them, those that are all because this is all Christian, they all talk about it. He said when he talked to the people who are non-Christian, they agreed with two things. A, that it was um, demons, and B, that the name of Jesus stopped them. So while you were letting them bash your faith and bash your religion and all fascinated with the Avengers and all fascinated with that, your God has been wrestling with this. Your Savior has been scrapping with this for you because you are his seed because you are his offspring, because you are his people, and he loves you so much, and he wants his own. What parent wouldn't want their feet? So their whole idea is, is, to, is to discredit Christianity. They said, the, uh, one of the spirits said that we have got to have people stop thinking Jesus was a person. We must make people think he was an energy, that he's just an energy, an energy that we have been wrestling with ourselves all these years. These are literal quotes from these people's books. So then do you believe that, because there's this whole wave now in, in Christianity that it's, it's, you know, downward religion. You know, we are, um, that we are supposed to be as far from religious and far from using the term religion as possible. Is that, um, how detrimental is that to us? Do you, do you think, just basically what we've been talking about today, how detrimental, detrimental is that to our own cause as Christians? Well, I can tell you, let's go back to the question and the statement you just made. If they really want us to be down with religion, not talking about religion, not using it, why are we pursuing a one-world religion? So what they want is Christians not, because see, the power is in Christians. That's the one thing they know. The energy that comes from Christians is unbelievable, and they, he has a whole thing on that. But because we produce the energy of life, the Satan cannot get a life configuration out of himself. We are the our new creation spirit of the configuration of God's eternal life. God kicked him out. God took it from him. If you read in Ezekiel, he said, I broke fire out of the midst of you. That means he took his power pack. He took his ability to have power. He brought it, took it out of them and all of those angels that fell with him. So they no longer have the power of life, which was why abducting Adam's sperm was important. So that now he gets two things. He gets at least a, a semblance of God's life energy, and he gets reproduction. That's why I don't trust Ancestry.com and all of those things. Uh-uh. They are using your 
your DNA to create a race of people that hate Jesus Christ. You wonder how we're going to get to Revelation where, where God is coming, he's lambasting the earth, he's destroying it, and the people are oblivious because that's that race. And they curse the God of heaven because these are people who are born, they're trying to get them born, not in wounds any longer and all of that. Yes. These are people yes. who are born to hate the God of heaven. And God got to destroy them with fire the way he did that first group with water and flooding. That's the only way. But see, before, the first group, they, they, they merged biologically, and they became fused. But this group, they are not just doing the biological material. They're literally recreating a human being outside of the normal processes that will hate Jesus Christ, that will defend them, and that will literally help them annihilate Jesus' pedigree. Mm-hmm. Because they were, if they do, that's what it's all about. So I did not know that when I started. I said, God, I can't get off pedigree. I mean, I'm still off pedigree. But now I realize that the only alternative, the only counteraction to this is the new creation. We own the planet. We have the pure uh, material of Jesus Christ. We are the only one that can do it. And that new creation, they can't stop. So that's why they have to get you out of the Bible. They've got to get you off Christ. They've got to make you hate the church. They've got to make you submit to other gods. All of that tattooing and piercing and carrying on, that was for another God. Those are markings that let them know you got a problem with Jesus Christ. Because it's good. 
I, and you know me, I don't want, they'll tell you, I don't watch things like that. A lot of Christian things are kind of like, once you study it, it's my world, blah, blah, blah. You kind of like know what the next line is going to be in. But sometimes it's like, bless y'all, keep doing that. Amen. But I don't, I don't do it. But this, I have not seen anything laid out. He talks about the Nephilim, where they, how they are still here. And what the Nephilim are doing today. And, he, and I'm talking about, he's not just giving his opinion. He's got scholars. He's got professors. He's got researchers, analysts. He is not just giving his opinion. He is telling you documentation. He tells you the name. So-and-so of nothing but the guy, the doctor that takes all of the implants out. Whole, whole, he has a whole thing that he's doing now. And they're trying to figure out what implants are. And it's, you know, it's like they're, they're kind of shattered into people. But he said when you put them in a jar, they find each other. These little slivers of metal find each other and reconnect themselves in the order in which they were separated. We're late, folks. And if God has mercy on us, we won't be too late. Ha! Huh. Are you ready? Did you want to say something? Take your money. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so just to recap that, the watchers is what you're looking for. The watchers, L.A. Marzulli. The and I think uh, there are more available on DVD yeah. than actual they streaming. Because you know, I've got them all. Yeah, because a lot of the streaming titles will show up but not be available. So the bites, they're like 25. Okay. The DVD. Mm-hmm. The DVD player is I bought one. Walmart, yeah. Let me tell you. And, and you know what? Since they're not involved, they're like $20, $30. Yeah. I mean, you could just not go out to dinner. <laughs> <laughs> so go get a DVD player. Um, and so we want you to sew. I take this moment to sew. You can do cash app. The tag there is Dr. Paul Price or paypal.me slash Dr. Paul Price or text to give 918 Right, Rachel? All right, 918 And Rachel's going to put it on the screen for you all. You need to sew into this. want to remind you that you can become a partner of the Jesus and Paula show by going to takingiton.com. We are still doing that. We're still uh, building partnerships, and we want to build those partnerships with you. So if you're saying I want to show every week. So we want to be, want you to become a partner of this program. So we're asking you to visit visit takingiton.com so you can find out how. So those are all the ways to sew, and you know that this was good. You know it was. You need to sew. So take this moment to do that right now. I also want to thank you from what I told you, because many of you are like, when Dr. Price needs to go around the world, now you know why it's having a problem. Because those spirits speak to you, too, just like they spoke to me. Nobody's ever going to listen to you. I'm telling you, I'll tell you what, no, no show is happening. Television. I hear that daily, not from people. My folks are encouraging. I hear, hear that daily from powers that's coming in because they already know that I'm broadcasting this. You have to be part of how I win. You have to be my army. You've got to be not just my eyes and ears, but you've got to be my finances. Some of you are like, I don't have the money, but you can raise it for me. You can raise it for the show. Because if we let this window go by that the Lord has given us, and watching this man's videos let you know it is a window. If we let this window go by, shame on us. We would have failed our Savior. Because you, you, you ask as if God is just going to beat up on them. No, God still needs the devil around just to see those who don't want him. So you can't, because sometimes you're wondering why. He's just, no, no. He's got, because remember, it's about free will, our, our choice. We must choose Jesus to decide whether or not this goes around. This man found somebody who believed him, follows him all over the world, videoing all of the things that he's finding. Well, I need somebody like that. 
I need people to finance that. I need a, a videographer. I need camera equipment. I need high-quality equipment. But you are how that happens. Because you understand, Satan has already mandated that we're going to be right here without you. And I know God is great, and he will do it. But the faster you respond, the quicker we overcome. And so I thank you. See you Sunday at the Congregation of the Mighty, where God stands. Boy, does that mean more. Okay. Where God stands. God.